Good morning, folks. Welcome to His People Church. And it's such a delight, again, to bring the word for you this morning. And um, my name is Jacques. You can check out our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za. We upload all the slides there every Sunday. So if you want to just follow through on the slides, if you're listening to the message through our WhatsApp broadcast or through SoundCloud or on YouTube, there are many ways that you can, you can connect. But this morning, I want to carry on with, it's the third part in our series, which I've entitled Passion for and like Jesus. Passion for and like Jesus. And, you know, as, as I've been studying and as we've been looking and ministering from this portion of scripture in John 4, where a Samaritan woman meets her Messiah, my passion for Jesus has grown. As I've just spent time in the story and I believe as the Holy Spirit has just revealed things to us all, as we've just looked at this amazing story, my personal just love and devotion for the Lord has grown as well as, and this has been my prayer, a, a desire to be like Jesus in the way, for example, he related to the Samaritan woman. And there are many Samaritan women in our city today. And, uh, and I'm just praying that we would be like Jesus in the way we relate to people that could be classified as Samaritans. So let's get on. And I'm just going to summarize last week in the second part of this, this series. We looked at her spiritual journey, the Samaritan woman, and how she first, in the beginning of the story, just recognized Jesus as a, as a Jew. Then she saw him as a prophet. And finally, she, she just realized he is the Messiah. And we unpacked last week why this was so significant to the people in that day. They were looking forward to the Messiah. Who was the Messiah? What? And we looked at some of the prophecies from the Old Testament, the promises about the Messiah. And it's just a beautiful study to study the promises of the Messiah. And just it gives us a, a beautiful, beautiful expanded just picture of who Jesus is. Because he perfectly fulfilled all these scriptures and prophecies about the Messiah. And then we looked at the significant aspect that in the book of John, John says, this is my purpose in writing this book. The gospel of John was written with a purpose in mind. And, he, and John says that you would believe. And in believing that you would have life. We looked at that scripture last week. The Greek word is pisteo. And we looked at just in a and trying to unpack what this word pisteo meant um, to the people in the day. Jesus used this word, and John used this word. You know, the word pisteo, believe, believed, is, occurs over 70 times in the book of John. 70 times. And it, one, of, one of the meanings to, to try and get the depth of this meaning is to cleave to, to adhere to, to hold on tightly with all your heart. And we unpacked that last week. So you can go and listen to last week's message if you didn't. Um, if you didn't it's just, it was just such a significant um, just time in God's word and just understanding the heart of God. So this week, let's carry on. And I trust we'll be able to finish the story of where this woman met her Messiah. And what I want to do, it's the last couple of verses. We're just going to um, go through them and I'm going to pick out from the verses just various things. Jesus, he spoke to her, but he also spoke profound things to his disciples. 
and 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 I want us just to look at some of the things that Jesus said in this story. So in verse 31 of chapter 4 it says, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So he says this, and then they go into discussion. Look in verse 33. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Now again, between um, this statement, I have food to eat which you do not know, and verse 34 where he speaks about this food, there could have been a while where the disciples are discussing and, and questioning what does he mean. And it's amazing how Jesus was so wise in the way he, wouldn't, he, he would say something and then it would provoke a whole discussion amongst the disciples. And, and it, it, it provokes a desire and a wonder to want to know more. And you know the old adage, you can take a horse to the water, but you can't make it drink. Jesus had a way of making people hungry to hear by, for example, putting this statement out here. But he says in verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Just an amazing scripture. And I just want us to camp a little bit about this. This is one of those verses that have, have just stuck with me. I, I mean, I remember reading it a couple of years ago. And it's one of those verses that just, just keep coming back to me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And, and this, is, this is, I believe, such an important aspect of our lives. Every single person's life. I have found people who are, have a strong conviction about God's will for their life. They have fuel inside of their bones. They have, there's a, there's a, there's a, a focused um, uh, passion in people's lives who have a strong conviction of God's will for their lives. And Jesus literally compared this, this strong conviction of what God's heart and plans and purposes and will is for our lives. That strong conviction, he compared it with food. That it nourishes. What does food do? It nourishes us. It gives us strength. I think you, to appreciate what food does for you, it's when you are hungry or you haven't eaten for a while, how you feel, you know, you get hangry and, and your, your body is, is, you feel weak, you may get headaches, etc. If any of you have fasted, you know just the impact of not having food. Now, obviously, having food is the opposite. And if you just think about the natural comparison, I just love how Jesus just takes such natural things like, like eating and, and hunger. And he says, this is what, this is what knowing God's will is like. It nourishes us. It gives us food. It, it's fuel for our lives. It energizes us. And, 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 and again, just as you appreciate the value of food by just remembering times when you've gone hungry, I've also just seen people who, who, who don't have a sense of direction. And I'm talking about people who know the Lord. And then for whatever reason, just enter a season where they really are not sure what God's will is. And, and it's like it's like they just slow down in their spiritual life. It's like... It's just as if, you know, the handbrake's pulled up and, and it's just, it's a really hard place. 
And so I don't take it for granted that, for example, Jen and I have a strong conviction that God brought us to this beautiful city of Peter Mansburg 16 years ago to plant a church that is passionate about Jesus and passionate about people. It still burns in our bones. And and there's also what Jesus says is my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He doesn't just in this context say do the will of my father. He actually says the will of him who sent me. You see, together with knowing this will, there's a sense of I was sent to do this will. And and the sense of sending is a commissioning. A sending is a commissioning. And, and, And this is also an important aspect of knowing God's will. When we know God's will, there's a sense of commissioning that he sent us to do this. And together with that is the conviction that he will enable us. And remember, he sends his Holy Spirit to enable us to fulfill his will in our lives. And so the sense of commissioning and sending. I remember 17 years ago when we were at um, our church in Cape Town and we stood on that stage and it was a commissioning service and they prayed for us to come and plant this great church in Peter Maritzburg. There was such a sense of commissioning and I still Today, 17 years later, I have a strong conviction that we are here on a mission. And Jesus gave us all the great commission. We're on a mission to reveal Jesus to the nations. Every believer, where there's a corporate sense of sending and a, a corporate sense of knowing His will, we are here that nations may come to know the Lord. It's a huge, it's a huge and uh, sense of purpose and, and direction that is that is so significant. And 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 literally Jesus said this fueled me. And I, and one of the things I pray is that 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 we would know that. There's there's the general call to every single believer to make disciples of nations, for example. But then there's very much the specific call, specifically your aspect, your your field, your metron that God calls you to. And and to know to know them, to know that is just so significant. It's fuel in our bones. So Jesus said this, and I and I want to unpack a little bit three key questions that we can ask ourselves in the in the realm of knowing God's will. And just on the on my notes, I put to know God's will. Ask these three questions, and Pete Scazzaro put them uh, mentions this so often. Now, if you listen to his 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 podcast. The first question to discern God's will is ask, God, what? What is your will? What is your will for my life? I want to encourage you to start by reading your Bible. Look at the mission that God gave to his disciples and to the early church. That mission continues. This is the general call to make, make disciples of nations, to represent Jesus, to reveal Jesus to people in every way possible. That is the first question we need to ask is what? God, show me what is your will. But the second question, you know, so many people ask that question, what is your will? And then they kind of get a sense of direction and they just go for it. But there are two other important questions. The first thing is when? When? And and this is specifically regarding the aspect of the specific will for your life. For example, (laughs) I, I... in the whole area of finding the person that God wants you to marry, if that's God's will for your life. There was such a sense in my life in pursuing uh, this, this young lady called Jenny that, I, that, that, that 
that I eventually married and we've been married now for I think it's 26 and a half years and but this aspect was Lord when and that was a question that I was asking Lord when are you wanting me to pursue a deeper friendship with this young lady when we were students at university it's an important question I remember um, just uh, just a particular young person that had a sense that God wanted them to start a business and and they went for it and I don't know I, I, I'm not sure about the when question for them I, I never asked this but I know they started a business and this was in 2008 literally during and, and just as the Great Recession hit the world. And the business, let's just say, it didn't take off. They invested quite a lot in this business. It didn't take off. And I remember just reflecting on the question of when. It didn't look like a good time to start a business, and particularly the area they were starting in. That area was really hit hard by the, the recession. And I remember looking at that and just wondering, and, and I don't know, I don't know the answer to this question, but I, but I remember wondering, was it the right time for them to start the business, their, that business in that particular industry at that time? The when question is an important question. And then the next question is the how question. How do you want me to do this? And I find so many people, they get the what. They have a strong sense of God speaking and they need to do something. They don't ask the when question. They don't ask the how question. They go off. And inevitably, you know, things, the wheels fall off, etc. And then you've got to come back and say, hang on. Sometimes we question, have we heard from God? Um, you know, uh, the what. We question the what. Whereas often I believe it's not the what question. It's the when and the how. And I want to submit to you that the how question is, is, a, is an ongoing question. You know, how. There's so many ways. For example, just the, the, the aspect of fulfilling the Great Commission. Uh, leading people to Christ and and seeing Christ being formed inside of them, discipling them. That how question. Folks, it's an ongoing journey of walking with the Lord. And once we answer those three questions, well, then just do it. You know, I wrote that in my notes uh, on the slides here for you. And, And when I was going over those notes, I was like, just do it. It sounds nice. Yes, it's a famous slogan of Nike. But you know, just do it. You kind of get the impression of, well, just answer these three questions and then just go and do it in your own strength. I want to submit to you, particularly the how question is an ongoing question. And, and, and forgive me if, if that comes across that, kind of hear from God and then just go do it. I believe a key reason why sometimes we don't have all the answers is because if we had all the answers, we'd run off and do it all by ourselves. Sometimes the Lord just reveals just enough so that we can see the way ahead, but we don't see all the way. I remember years ago, my pastor saying that sometimes the Lord's leading is very much like driving your car home at night. And what happens if you were driving your car to your home on the other side of town at night? What would it be like? Your car's lights would shine far enough ahead of you so that you could see the road clearly ahead of you 
that you could get there safely. But your car doesn't shine if whatever, 5Ks or 10Ks across to the other side of town, wherever you need to go. Your car's lights don't shine that far, but they shine far enough that you can get there. And sometimes the Lord's leading is like that. He shows you enough to light your path ahead of you. But we need to keep the lights on. We need to keep seeking Him for the light of His Word, the light of His leading, the leading of the Holy Spirit that we can get there one day. And that is just so significant. So we, just, we don't just do it in our own strength. It's very much in partnership with the Lord. And then finally, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me, dot, 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 and to finish His work. And to finish His work. You know, there's such a strong sense of, for Jen and I, been in Maritzburg for 16 years to plant this church that's passionate about Jesus and passionate about people. But there's a sense of that we have not finished the work that we came to do. And that sense is so important. Do you know that when Jesus said, and to finish his work, he was literally, the, the verb that is used, apparently in the original language, is the same word that Jesus used in John 19.30, where he cried on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. It's the same word. You see, there was a, such a strong sense in Jesus that he needed to finish this work. And I want to submit to you that just as much as we pray about starting something and, you know, God, what is your will? What do you want me to do? Both general and specific um, direction from the Lord. But sometimes we do not give enough prayer into the aspect of finishing the work. I heard, I've heard some people sharing about how the Lord actually rebuked them that they didn't take the hand off the plow in, in the field that God had given them to plow in the time that God wanted them to. They, they carried on too long. I think that is the exception though. I think most people give up before they finish this God-given assignment. Most people, I, I would I'd probably say 80% of people, maybe 90% of people don't finish the assignment God has given them. But there are some who just kind of don't know how to stop or don't know how to finish or don't know how to end well. And that's something the Lord's really been ministering to us, especially through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality books and courses we've done, is learning to end well, discerning that seasons come to an end. A chapter needs to close before the next chapter can open. And to celebrate and recognize the season has ended, it's okay. In God, things do come to an end. Jesus finished his work. Amen. And just to recognize that. And, 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 and I am, I would say, I, we're on a journey of learning to finish well, to close one chapter, that we can move into the next chapter. And, I, and, I've, and, and you know, the aspect that I've seen is sometimes if we don't finish and close the one chapter, it somehow in the spirit prevents the opening of the next chapter. And there have been times where we like pressing in for the new thing, but the Lord's saying you've got to get let go of the old thing. You've got to finish well, finish that season, finish that chapter so you can move into the next thing. So I, I was just thinking we could probably spend, do a whole series just on this about finishing the work that God has given us to do. But let's move on. Because the story of the Samaritan woman who meets her Messiah in verse 35 goes on to say, Jesus is now talking about, remember, about, about the food of knowing God's will. And this is what he says next. Do you not say 
There are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Now, let me just give you, paint you the context over here. So Jesus is talking about knowing God's will. And then he speaks about harvest. So he's talking about eating. And, and look at these natural metaphors Jesus is using. He's talking about eating to compare the nourishment of God's will. And here he says, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Now, harvest time in, in the Middle East is starts mid-April. That's the end of their summer, um, uh, their, their, their planting season, the wheat season. That is when they start harvesting. And so, so what happens over there is that if we rewind, this would be four months before mid-April. So this is about mid-January. And, and this is, sorry, I got the seasons wrong there. It's actually, uh, this would be a, a winter wheat crop because remember the Mediterranean uh, has, has rain in, in, in the winter. So this would be a winter wheat crop like we have in the Western Cape. And so what happened would they would harvest mid-April. But Jesus says this to them, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for already, they are already white unto harvest. So I want to just put a picture on the screen for you. And I just found this on, on the internet. This is a picture of taken of Israel today. There's a hill and there's some town. I forget the name of the town in Israel. But these are ripe wheat fields that are around this town. So remember the context is Jesus at a well. The well's outside the town. And this woman came to him at the well. And then before the disciples came back with the food, the woman actually left. She left her jar there and she ran into town and she went to go tell, the, tell, the, tell everybody about the Messiah. And she basically is inviting the village to come out. And she would have probably walked past the disciples, ran past the disciples who were coming from the town to Jesus at the well. But now Jesus is talking to them about God's will. And, and, and the nourishment of God's will. And he's talking about the harvest. But can you picture this? That as Jesus is talking to the disciples around the well. The people are coming out of the village. And they are walking through these fields. And they are walking towards Jesus. And Jesus is telling the disciples, look up. Look at the fields they are white to harvest. And what would they have seen as they looked at the harvest fields? Because this is four months before harvest time. Jesus said, don't say four months to harvest. In the natural, these fields weren't white. This is what a white field looks like. This is a field ready to be harvested. This is, this is like mid-April in Israel. But this was four months before this time. So the field was very green. It wasn't actually white until harvest. But you have this crowd of people walking through the town towards them and so as they looked they would have seen no but this field isn't not isn't ripe but look at the people coming what a picture that jesus was saying so can you see the samaritan village is raw is white unto harvest just a beautiful picture that they would have seen and so so what does jesus say he says i say to you lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest and a white harvest is ready to to be brought in and you see folks the disciples couldn't see this. They saw a Samaritan village where they could get food. That's what they saw in the natural. But Jesus sees a whole village that is ripe unto harvest. And, and, and just my heart is 
And I'm praying for myself that I would not look at the circumstances of people's lives and say, no, they're not ready to make a commitment to follow Christ, to surrender their lives to Christ, to follow the Lord. But to have Jesus, Jesus looks at people, he looks at the Samaritan village and he says they're ripe. Whereas the disciples could not see this. And I'm saying, as a personal disciple of Jesus, Lord, open my eyes. I want to see the harvest. I want to see the ripe harvest. Open my eyes, Lord. And I'm praying for all of us as a local church. Lord, may we see the harvest. And I remember just a story of when I was at university on Monday nights, we used to go um, at UCT and we used to go door to door and we would look for opportunities to speak to people about the Lord, share the love of God, share the gospel with people. And I remember this one, one um, person we went to talk, to talk to, we knocked on their door and uh, they kind of reluctantly, you know, we said, can we chat? And they said, come in. When we came in, it was a, it was a, there was a young lady, there were two of us, me and another girl, and um and and she said come in and she was there with a boyfriend and they looked they looked a bit um let's say ruffled that we were coming in and i remember talking to them and i was feeling like sure they they really don't want to talk and i thought Mm-mm. i in my in my assessment thought they're not they're not ripe unto harvest I remember three or four months later walking into church and we had services on campus at UCT in those years. And there is this young man who was sitting with a girl. And he made a, a wholehearted commitment to follow the Lord, etc. And in talking to him afterwards, he just shared about how convicting our conversation was to him. And, and again, just so, it was such a such a just a reminder that I just got it so wrong. I thought that he was so close to hearing the gospel. Meanwhile, it was just our conversation had such an impact on him. Remember, when Jesus looks at the nations, when Jesus looks at people, this is what he sees, a white harvest. And I'm praying, Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Let us see the harvest as you see it. So Jesus went on to say, And he who reaps receives wages. And gathers fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Three things Jesus says. This is, and he's talking to his disciples as as the Samaritan village is coming through the wheat field towards them at the well. And he says, he who reaps receives wages. Folks, there is a return that I believe will be mind-blowing on on the, the wages of those who reap people into the kingdom, who share the love of God, the truth of the gospel with people, who, who, who reveal Jesus to people and give them an opportunity to respond, who reap the harvest. There are returns off the charts. The Bible speaks about the, the, the joy of the soul winner. When we get to heaven, remember, I remember hearing this years ago, Nothing on this earth can we take with us to heaven except those who we've led to Jesus. And that is going to be the greatest joy, the greatest, the greatest moment of revival in anybody's life is that moment when they surrender their lives to Jesus. 
that moment. And we trust that, that that reviving will continue to happen in a person's life. But that moment is the most significant of literally being born again, revived. So their spirits being made, made, made born again. The moment they surrender their lives to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. The, the Bible, Jesus said, he, re, he who reaps receives wages. They are going to be phenomenal, phenomenal just rewards for those who, who engage in this in this privilege. And it says, and gathers fruit for eternal life. Folks, remember, this is fruit for eternal life. So much of what we invest our time in on this earth are going to have no eternal rewards. And, and, and that's the reality. You know, think about just, I mean, some of the more mundane things we do. We cooked a meal. Yes, it's going to sustain us for a few hours. And each meal does, is important. But it's nothing like reaping um, the, the, the fruit of people surrendering their lives to Jesus. And then he says, he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. And this is an important truth over here that sometimes in our interactions with people, we are sowing, we are sowing seed in their hearts. But sometimes we reap seed that we have not sown, truth that we have shared with people. Um, that 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 we don't see the harvest, but we together, and this is why the wider body of Christ, we we together are in this massive harvest field called the nations. And he says in verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Folks, there's a sending, the Great Commission is ascending to reap that for which you have not labored. We've actually had prophetic words about the Lord adding to our church and we would reap where we have not sown. It's not like we haven't sown. For example, our campus ministry of the last 16 years, literally hundreds of young students we've, we've invested in, we've sown into their lives, we've discipled them, etc. And they have left the city and, and moved to all around the world. But I rejoice in the fact that we will also reap where we have not sown. People have, have joined and are joining our church who didn't come and start their journey of following Jesus in our local church. But that's the kingdom. That's how the kingdom works. You know, some people will, will, will come to Christ in our church and they, they literally will spend their life in, in, in our local church. God does it. But some people will just spend a, a season with us and then go to other churches and, and grow and, and, and be a great blessing there. That is the kingdom. And we just need to make peace with that. You know, I heard years ago, you know, some people are called to a local church and some people are called through. They come for a season. They're a huge blessing. They make a huge difference. But again, there's an ending and, and, and they move on. And, and we've got to release and realize that, that that season has come to an end and we bless them with everything within us. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Can you see this, this partnership with us and the wider body of Christ? Thousands of churches across the world. We're actually in partnership to bring in the worldwide harvest. I want to put this little map up here. Now we're part of every nation. Uh, it's a worldwide network of churches, literally thousands of churches all around the world. And we're called Every Nation because 
It really is trying to encapsulate the Great Commission, which is make disciples of all nations. And the call is to plant churches as a, as, as, as a network of, of churches in every nation in our generation. And this is a map that I took off, off our Every Nation website a little while ago. And this highlights the 85 nations in the world where we as Every Nation churches have planted churches. 85. There are about, I think it's close to 200, I forget the exact number, of, of nations or independent territories in the world. And the white over here are the, na- are, are, the, are the nations where we have already planted churches. But as you can see, there's many places where we haven't planted churches. What's so exciting is about a year ago, before lockdown, I remember hearing that uh, we had planted churches in 80 nations. So in the last year, it has gone up to 85. Folks, during the pandemic, during worldwide lockdown, travel bans, travel restrictions, we have managed to send people into five more nations. It's a miracle. And the stories are just miraculous. Folks, this is a picture of the fields that are white unto harvest. That's a picture. I was thinking about, I didn't do this map. Maybe we should have made the nations we are not in white and the nations we are blue. I didn't do the map just so that we can get this picture right. But very exciting story is that in this last year, we from South Africa have managed to plant a new church into Croatia. And here's a map of Croatia. This is Europe. There's the UK. This is North Africa over here. This is uh, Israel, Syria over here. Just to get your orientation, there's Greece and Italy. And there's Croatia right in the middle. And amazing story of a couple from our, one, of our, one of our congregations in Pretoria, Tuane, who got the call of God before lockdown. And literally during lockdown, were able to secure work permits to go to Croatia. They left beginning of this year. They were able to get their children into this as the schools open. Just a miraculous story of favor and so much prayer has gone into this. Folks, during a year that there's massive lockdowns and travel restrictions, there's been a team sent from South Africa to Croatia. It's a miracle. And, and, and this is Jesus' heart. Jesus intentionally went to this town, which was the capital of, 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 of these people, the Samaria, and he went to this nation. And here we have a team that's going to Zagreb, the capital of Croatia, in a time that you think, hey, this is not good church planting time. And, and we're just seeing faith being unlocked in people for the miraculous. And why do we do this? And why am I saying this, folks? We see a harvest in Croatia. In the capital of Zagreb, I forget the exact statistics, but there's something like, just in the capital, uh, something like 20,000 students. And there's no major ministries that, that are reaching out, for example, to the students in the capital of Zagreb, of the capital of Croatia. 20,000 students, folks. Do you see the harvest over there? And there are people that are trusting God and going going to these nations. It's so exciting. I want to just carry on and let us look at this. It finishes. This is how the story finishes. I want to read it. It says, 
and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. So she went back to the village. She testified about this Messiah. They came to Jesus and he told me all that I ever did. Remember, that's what she said. But look what it said. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they came to him at the well. And they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed there two more days. Two more days in a Samaritan village. This is my Jesus. I just love it. Two days in the Samaritan village. And look at the results. And many more believed. I've highlighted the word believed there and there. And remember, in the previous verse, it says over here, and uh, many of the Samaritans of that city believed. I said to you that in this Gospel of John, it's one of the main things that John, he says, the purpose of me writing is that people would believe, people would pastor, put their entire reliance on Jesus, trust in him, cleave to him, cling to him, adhere to him wholeheartedly. This is, this is what, what, what John's purpose is in writing the Gospel of John. And hear these words believe. I said more than 70 times in the book. John is highlighting. What is the aspect? What is the aspect that's, what is happening in these people's lives? They come, they hear Jesus. They hear him talking. They hear this woman talking. What is the result? They believe. They pisteo in Jesus. And it says in verse 42, Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. What a declaration from, from the Samaritan village that Christ is the Savior of the world. Folks, that is what was unlocked inside them. That is faith speaking. They saw Jesus. They cling to him as the Christ, Christos, the Messiah. The anointed one, the savior of the world. This is what unlocked was unlocked inside of them. Pisteo, belief, faith, trust, cleaving to, adhering to. This is a result of the story. And this is, I believe, the greatest response we can have when we see Jesus is who he is. Our response is to believe, to pisteo. And I want to just highlight this because this week, as I've just been praying and just meditating on, just reflecting on this last year, it's been a hard year for many, many people. And I had the picture of people's faith being under attack. And, you know, in Ephesians, Paul the Apostle writes and he describes um, uh, the faith of a person. He describes it as a shield. As a shield that a Roman soldier would hold. And I literally had this impression of, of the enemy like literally wrestling and pulling against and wanting to rip faith out of people's hearts. And you know, faith is, Paul used this as, a, as, as an important analogy because faith protects us and he says from the arrows of the enemy. And there have been arrows, lies of the enemy, lies. I'm not going to give words to them, just negative um, thinking and thoughts of failure and disaster, etc., etc. I'm not gonna. I don't want to speak them because I don't want to uh, speak life into them. He's and those attacks. Why have those attacks been able to find a place in people's hearts? Because the shield of faith 
is down. The shield of faith has been, is being pulled out of the way so the attacks can find a place in, 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 in our soul, in our heart. And, and my injunction is to let us lift up the shield of faith. Let's believe. Let us lift up that shield of faith that the fiery darts would not find a place. And this is my prayer for you. I'm going to pray for you in closing. I'm going to pray that the shield of faith would be lifted up. So would you close your eyes and would you come and just pray with me? And maybe just as an act of faith, maybe just like, I don't know, lift up your arms like, you, like you're holding a shield of faith. Lord, in Jesus' name, we lift up our shield of faith. Lord, just as in the Samaritan village, Lord, it says she believed, they believed because of a testimony, they believed because of the words of Jesus. Lord, as we read these words, Lord, I pray that we would lift up the shield of faith. I say, lift up shield of faith. I lift up my shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the evil one. And I pray for everyone listening to this word. I say, lift up your shield of faith. And we say, fiery darts, you'll be quenched by the shield of faith that we lift up. We pisteo. We believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Lord, our Savior, our Jesus, our Lord, our Master, Lord, we lift up our faith and we put faith in you. And we say, as we put faith in you, we say no to the lies of the enemy. With that, we say this faith will quench the lies of the enemy in Jesus' name. We will pisteo in you. We will believe in you. Trust, adhere to and cling to you, Jesus. As our Messiah, we will see the deliverance of the Lord as we lift up our shields of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.